uh, group out to do so. All right, so today we are continuing in our series going through the book of Romans. This is week 10 in this series. Now, if this is your very first Sunday being here, and you're going, oh my goodness, I stepped into week 10. I'm not going to know what they're talking about. You will, because you actually showed up for the best one. Okay, so it's like, it's awesome. You didn't have to sit through the other nine. You came to the best one today. <laughs> like we're really in the home stretch now in the book of Romans. And to kind of help us get our brains around what the Apostle Paul talks about in this section, I want you to ask, I want to ask you a quick question. And I want to ask you this, and I want everyone to raise your hands if you've ever felt like this. Have you ever wished that God would just show up in your life and do something huge? I mean, not like God helped me find a parking space. Okay, and those of you who pray that, God bless you. Okay, that, that you have that much faith that you think God wants to avoid you getting some exercise and walking a little further in the parking lot. Okay, but God bless you for those prayers. But I mean, you've just been dealing with some stuff, whether you're going through it now or another point in life, that you needed God to do something huge. Again, raise those hands again. Right? That's life, right? So often in life, we are just desperate for God to do something big. But something that I've noticed in all the years that I've been pastoring, all the years that I've been walking with people, walking with Christians, kind of looking at the life of the church, is so often we're desperate for God to do something big, yet so many of us, as followers of Jesus, if we were really honest, we're disobedient in living out the small things that God actually calls us to as Christians. And so if I'm honest and I'm disobedient to the small things that God asks of me, why would God ever show up and entrust me with big things? <laughs> Now, I realize I just made all of us feel a little guilty, okay? Now, that's not my goal, but my goal is when you read what we're going to read today, we're going to read, again, out of the entire book of Romans. Romans chapter 12 is probably the most famous. It's probably the most quoted. We use Romans chapter 12 to justify a whole lot of things in church life, in the Christian life. But if we get Romans chapter 12 wrong, we become disobedient in these little things that God has called the church to do. And what we've been seeing and talking about all throughout this series going through the book of Romans is what we believe about God. Our theology should drive how we are living our lives. And so if we're creating a theology that gives us permission to be disobedient to the little things. We're all wondering, where's God? Why is he not showing up? Why is he not blessing? Why is he not healing? Why is he not moving? Why are we not seeing more people getting saved? Why are we not seeing these amazing moves of God that we're seeing in other places? Maybe, just maybe, we got to focus on the little things. So that's what I want to do. I want us to read. We're going to read Romans chapter 12 together. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to follow along in this. I'm going to read the first part 
of Romans chapter 12. We're going to unpack it a little bit, talk about these little things that God calls us into the life of the church. And then we're going to finish off Romans chapter 12, looking at how, if we are obedient with the little things, how God will show up in your life, in the life of the church, in great, big, powerful ways. So Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. This is what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in the city of Rome. And again, reminder, the city of Rome at the time of this writing is the most sophisticated, advanced city in the world. They're smart. They're educated. They've got the greatest military. They are the best of the best of the best. And he writes to that church in that context. So Romans chapter 12, 1 to 8 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself as more highly as you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in according with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. I'm going to stop here, and we'll come to the rest of the chapter in a moment. Here in Romans chapter 12, there's a shift that happens right here in Romans chapter 12, and the shift starts in verse 1 with the word, therefore. See, we as Christians, we we talk about this all the time, that the book of Romans is the deepest, richest, most theological book in the New Testament. There's so much richness in theology right, to fill our heads about grace and about God and about sanctification, about justification. Are we saved through behavior? All of these things that we wrestle with as human beings, there's some deep, deep theology in here that really can rattle our brain sometimes if we're not careful. But then Romans chapter 12 makes a very clear pivot Therefore, because of all of this theology that I just gave you, all this information, will you let this change how you live? Romans chapter 12 makes a big shift to become very, very practical. Now, there's a lot of practical stuff we can pull out from the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. But here he he moves away. He goes, this whole debate on who can go to heaven whether it's just the Jewish people or can the Gentiles come into heaven. Okay, I'm done talking about that. We've landed the plane on that already. We've come to our conclusion. The whole idea, do I need to behave? 
right? Is, does God hate me? Is, is God's judgment on me? When bad stuff happens in my life, am I being punished because of my behavior? No, we've landed the plane on that. That's not how God works. The wrath of God was put on Jesus. It's not put on us. Okay, we live in a sinful, fallen world that's messy. Absolutely. But God does not hate you. God is not, doesn't have, I heard it on the radio this morning, this judgment of God on us. It's like, eh. No, God's judgment was put on Jesus. Okay, and we are set free. Okay, that's the theology. All of these things. So he moves away, like, you know, Jew, Gentile, male, female, all of these things. Like, put that as, okay, we've concluded on this. Now your life. We need to look at your life. How are you living? And so this is what Paul is doing now, starting in Romans chapter 12. Again, speaking to the most educated, most sophisticated, best military, best government in human existence up to that point. And he's telling them, therefore, because of God's mercies. See, the gospel, the good news of Jesus is merciful. So often in this culture that we live in today that we see the message of Jesus as bad news, right? And maybe it's because in church history, we've actually portrayed it as bad news. <laughs> maybe the way we've lived our lives as followers of Jesus, it's looked to outside people like bad news. <laughs> but there's mercy in the message of Jesus. So therefore, because of that, and then I love how he says, right after the word, therefore, it says, I urge you. I urge you. See, this isn't a statement from the apostle to the church of, well, it'd be kind of nice maybe if you would do this. I was on a leadership call this week with a number of pastors. Um, I'm part of this uh, team here in our city called the Evangelism Team. Um, they call it the E-Team. Uh, I, I'm not on the marketing of it, okay? We've got to come up with a better name. So if you're in marketing, come and reach out to me and let me know. Because um, E-Team just sounds like e-cigarettes or something like that. I don't know. But anyway, but we're part of it. And we, we're gathering leaders and evangelists and, uh, kind of from across our city. And how do we raise the evangelistic temperature in our city? To actually build up the church to be more excited about the message of Jesus and proclaiming the message of Jesus with mercy, with love, with grace, but unapologetically in where we're called to live. And we're in this meeting and they were, and I'm with all these evangelist people. I'm like, oh, we're just going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And I'm the only senior pastor on the team. And I'm like, um, okay, I love all of your ideas, but I can't make my church do anything. I can't make you do anything unless the spirit of God works in you and the spirit of God convicts you. I mean, I was raised French Canadian. I, I've got the guilt thing down pack. Like I know how to do guilt really well. French Canadians were experts at guilt. Hey, I can be manipulated into doing almost anything by an aunt or an uncle or my parents. Okay, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. So when Paul builds up all of this theology and he's not saying, well, it'd be kind of nice 
if you would live this way. I urge you. There's this urgency that the apostles bringing here because this is so crucial. Because if you get these things wrong, then your theology doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter what you believe about God if it in no way changes your life. If people around you see nothing but bad news, like, oh no, here comes Bob. Oh no, here comes Sue. Don't make eye contact. Run the other way. What you believe about God may not be changing you. May not be changing the world. Right? So this is why there's this urgency to Romans chapter 12. And because Romans chapter 12 is so familiar, do we actually treat it with the urgency that Paul has for these words? I urge you, my brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, that's the heart behind Romans chapter 12. I urge you, look at your life. I urge you to look at the things of God. I urge you to understand the grace of God and God's mercy and what Jesus did on the cross and what his resurrection proves to the world. I urge you. And what does he urge us into? Three things here from Romans chapter 12 that we can see. And again, these might sound like big things, but in contrast to the rest of Romans chapter 12, you're going to see it's like, wow, these should be a lot easier to do. than the rest of Romans chapter 12. And that's why I say these little things at the beginning, if they become a regular part of our Christian life, then suddenly the big things that we're going to read at the end of Romans chapter 12 start happening more and more and more. So what is, what is urged? Three small ways that God is calling us to listen to him. The first is this, be transformed. Be transformed. Now, I'm a nerd, and, you know, whenever I hear the word transformed, I immediately go back to the 1980s Transformers cartoon. You know, you got Optimus, transform and roll out. Okay, I can't do the voice, though. And those of you who know, you know. You know what I'm trying to do. You got Optimus Prime, you know, the big truck, you know, and he's, like, jacked, and he's like, Autobots, transform, right, and roll out. That's what I love about the word transformed, right? right? When there's robots telling these robots to transform, it's not to hide, It's to roll out. (laughs) Why are we transformed? This is what Paul talks about in here. So here in Romans chapter 12, it says this, right? Be transformed, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In the beginning of verse 2, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Right? So often when I actually hear people quote Romans 12 2, we actually put an S at the end of pattern. And we say, do not conform to the patterns. And when we do, when we pluralize it, sometimes what I think we do as followers of Jesus, going, well, we go, there's realize there's multiple patterns out in the world. And I'm kind of on this journey while well, I follow this pattern, but not this pattern. And this, pa- this, I stick to this pattern, but I don't do this pattern. Right? We, we cherry pick which patterns we want to follow and which patterns we are working on not following. See, that's when we develop a bad theology. 
See, the text here is actually, there's only one pattern. One. And the pattern is, what are you doing with Jesus? The world wants nothing to do with Jesus. I mean, we live in a culture today, spirituality is at an all-time high. I have no problems having spiritual conversations with people. I have no problem having spiritual conversations with complete, total strangers. No one seems to have a problem with spirituality. What they have a problem with is Jesus. (laughs) Right? They have a problem with Jesus. That's the pattern. One pattern. The pattern of the world is nothing to do with Jesus. Surrendered to Jesus. Right? And you need to be conformed. You need to be transformed. So do not conform to the pattern. The pattern of the world wants to say Jesus isn't important. The pattern of the world wants to say Jesus is not who Jesus said he is. The pattern of the world is that there is a spiritual enemy that wants to destroy us. Right? And think of a spiritual enemy. If you were to be an enemy, let's just say for a moment, you were the devil. Okay? For me, it's easy to relate to that and to put myself in that role. If I were the devil, it'd be, would I, what would my strategy be to clearly be the devil, right? To walk around with a pitchfork and horns and a tail and a little red cape and trying to get you to drink poison. Drink this. Ha ha. You know, it's like, you know, like the evil witch, like in the movie Snow White. Again, I'm a nerd, right? The movie Snow White, when you got this creepy, creepy old witch giving you this apple, don't eat it. She's clearly not a nice lady. Okay, she's creepy. She's clearly evil looking. Don't eat it. Right? The, the, the enemy is not out there looking evil and cruel and clearly giving you something bad. I mean, the Bible actually teaches you that our spiritual enemy is an angel of light, it is the most beautiful thing ever created. He's stunning. He's awe-inspiring, and he's a liar. And he offers up something that the world goes, is so beautiful. And in this world, it might look great, but the pattern of that will keep you far from God for all eternity. That's his goal. That's the goal. So there's this urgency to be transformed, right? And what is being, so it talks about here in in this verse, right? In verse one and verse two of chapter 12, he says to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So because of what Jesus has done on the cross, his birth, his death, his resurrection, his ascension back to heaven, his sending the Holy Spirit to come and empower the church. Therefore, because of those things, offer your bodies as living sacrifice. The word body here is the Greek word summa. And it refers to the entire person. It's everything about you. It's your heart. It's your soul. It's your mind. It's your strength. It's your body. It's everything. Offer everything of who you are as a living sacrifice. Right? And this is what's fascinating about it. When you think of the, the, um, the, the greatest commandment, and um, I don't know why I'm in the dark. I, uh, there you go. Spiritual enemy. Don't listen to that. There we go. Perfect. Let there be light. Okay. Well, it's like I, can't see, I can barely see my notes on a good day. And then we turn the lights off. Okay, cool. Um, 
Think for a moment when Jesus said, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And Paul is saying the exact same thing. Your life is a living sacrifice. And what does this sacrifice mean? Well, it can mean theologians kind of debate, and it can mean one of two things, but both of them are very valid in the life of the church. Right? Is this, it might indicate that believers are to continually offer themselves in service to God, or, and this is the camp that I land in, it's describing that we're dead to sin and alive in Christ. <laughs> that we're dead to sin. And so the, the, the sacrifice that we're making, think of the, the Jewish people when they had the temple and the big giant table, the altar, and they brought animals to it and they sacrificed them. There's a death there, right? And so what we do as Christians is we say, I die. I'm, I'm dead to these things. I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to the, the plans and the pattern of this world, right? But what happens with this verse of being transformed and your body of being a living sacrifice and all of these things, we go, we, we develop bad theology around this verse, right? Where I've talked to a lot of Christians over the years, right, who believe that the worship of God isn't important, right? I don't need to come to church. I don't need to gather with other Christians. I don't need to worship God because worship's just not important, they go, why isn't worship important to you? They go, well, because of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where it says, my entire life is a spiritual act of worship. So I don't need to worship on Sunday. My whole life is an act of worship. And then I have fun with you when you tell me that. And I go, really? Every single part of your life, your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, your body, Everything is dead to your wants and your desires, and you live completely and fully to the will of God. Could you disciple me on how to do that? Because I've not arrived yet. You see, when we think worship's not important, because my whole life is worshipful, be honest with yourself, is your whole life worshipful? Worshipful? Is your whole life a sacrifice? Mine's not. Like that's bad theology. And that bad theology has an impact in our relationship with God. Right? We need to be transformed. We need to be changed. We need this is why when Paul talks when Paul teaches about worship, Jesus teaches about worship in so many of his teachings. Um, I love how Paul talks about worship in Corinthians when he talks about this gathering that we do as the children of God, that there there's something different that happens. Now I I'm okay with church online. I think church online is a great tool. It's a great evangelism tool to reach people and to connect with people and to kind of open up the door so people can see what we do here. But it can never truly replace the gathering. It's a great tool. But it can't truly replace coming into the presence of God and worshiping God. Dying to our plans for Sunday morning, dying to the busyness of life, sacrificing a little bit so that we can be renewed, coming into the presence of God, hearing from God's word. Because 
The battle that you and I are facing starts here. We need to be renewed up here. <laughs> What's going on in my head? What's going on in your head? We've got to get this changed. Right? This renewal of the mind refers that we've got to have this conformity in our heads about the truth of God. And we've got to let that change our lives. This is why our mission as a church is to lead people in knowing, living, and sharing Jesus. Knowing Jesus, transforming our minds, doesn't stop there. It then turns into how we are living Jesus. And I think the big challenge that you and I are facing on this topic of being transformed is there's two ways that the church can be transformed. There's two ways that you and I can be transformed. We could let culture transform us. We could let culture dictate how we should interpret this. Well, culture says this, so we should do it. But, but culture is moving towards, so we should do it. And we could be transformed by the drive of culture. Or we could be transformed by the mercy of God. God who is so loving and so compassionate and welcomes everybody. Welcomes Jew and Gentile, male, female, slave, free, black, white, doesn't matter. What are we letting transform us? I urge you, be transformed. Be transformed. That's the first thing that Paul is urging us to be transformed. The second thing that we see that Paul urges us for is to be humble. Be humble. While we're on this journey of being transformed, we're also on a journey of learning humility. Verse 3 of chapter 12 is probably one of my all-time favorite verses in the New Testament. And I love how the, the New Living Translation, I read it from the NIV, the New International Version, but I love how the New Living Translation puts this verse. Let me read you this. Verse 3 in that translation says this, Don't think you are better than you really are. Kevin. <laughs> yeah. But it continues, it says, be on. It doesn't mean to belittle yourself and to be a doormat and, oh, I'm no good. No, but be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measuring yourself, not by your looks, not by your money, not by your prestige, not by your power, not by your position, not by your education, not by your diploma, but measure yourself by the faith that God has given you. Right? And that, that the, the faith that God has given you can be unpacked a little bit too. By the faith that God has given you, that God's given us, or by the standard of our God-given faith. It's kind of different ways to kind of translate that. Right? And so as we're in this journey of being transformed, right, again, according to verse 3, we have to be really, really honest with where we are on our faith journey. How am I doing this is why I do like things like New Year's resolutions. This is why I journal. This is why I try to constantly do a little bit of kind of introspection work to ask myself, 
how am I doing? I mean, because I can get up here and I can preach this sermon. You can go, wow, Pastor Kevin's sermons are so great. And wow, Pastor Kevin, wow, 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 wow. Because there's this outward expression of my faith. But nobody apart from God and maybe my wife knows what's really going on in here. Because we can hide as human beings real easily what's going on in here or in here or what we're doing with the internet behind closed doors or how we're treating people in the office and all of these things. We have to be humble. We have to be humble. Have you ever found yourself thinking you're better than other people at work? Have you ever found yourself thinking like you're better than other people at school? Have you ever found yourself thinking that you're better, that our church is better than other churches? See, that you trust God better than other people do? That you're more dependent on God than other people are? You're more surrendered to God than other people are? It was funny. I, I learned early on in pastoral ministry, I was a brand new, I was an associate pastor, and we were, I was working at a very large church at the time, probably about 1,200 people attending the church, and uh, we were in a staff meeting, and, and like life, just like your job, just like everybody's job, they're, they're like complaints, because we're humans and we complain. It's kind of what we do, right? And what we used to do on staff meetings on Tuesday morning is we, we'd go through the list of the complaints that would come in on Monday morning. Good times. Nothing really builds your, 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 your faith and feeling like you're doing a good job in ministry to get a whole bunch of emails on Monday morning about everything that everyone hated of what you did on Sunday morning, what they didn't like about your sermon, what they didn't like about the music, how they didn't like communion. Thank you that you don't do that. Okay? But it was just one of these things that we did. But one of the things was very, very interesting, and, and I actually have to call out our leadership on it, is that we actually then categorize, and let's not call it complaints, let's just say feedback. Because sometimes it's good to receive constructive feedback. You should be open. I should be open to constructive feedback. That's a good thing. But we categorized it. Feedback from some people, we would listen to. Feedback from others, we wouldn't even read it. Well, that's just so-and-so. And so after doing that for several months, I was new in my job. I was trying to figure out this ministry thing, and I was, like, trying to bring the Bible into these staff meetings, and I went to the senior pastor privately, not to shame or embarrass or anything, and I said, um, I don't think we're very humble. We actually think some Christians are better than other Christians, that some people's opinions matter more than other people's opinion, based on my Bible, Right? And that's a hard lesson to learn. But it's one of the small things I think God calls us to. Because it's exactly what Jesus modeled for us. God himself, creator of the heavens and earth, that all things were created by him and through him and for him. He descends to the lowest level possible. Born in a manger, dies a sinner's death. And he never once claimed to his power, claimed to his authority, claimed to his right, even though he could have just sent bolts of lightning and armies of angels to smite all of his enemies. 
total humility. That's the model, right? And so we've got to figure this journey out of what does it truly mean to be humble? Doesn't mean be a doormat. It doesn't mean you let people boss you around, beat you up, push you around. But there is this humility. How do we think of people? How do we think of others? How do we think about ourselves and our faith? Be honest in your evaluation. This is a regular process in the life of the follower of Jesus. So we're being transformed every single day. We're being humble each and every day. And then the last thing here that we can see from just these eight verses, like this eight verses, look how much is in here. It says to be engaged. Be engaged, right? Starting um, a little bit later down in here, starting in verse six or actually in verse five, Paul talks about the body. And this is an analogy that Paul uses a lot when it talks about church life. It says, look at your body, look at your body. It says there's multiple parts, there's different members, and there's parts of your body that are doing different things, right? And you need all of them to be healthy, (laughs) I mean, just think for a moment. Have you ever stubbed your toe? Why does that hurt so much? Like, I'd rather just cut the toe off. That seems less painful. But sometimes when you stub that toe in the middle of the night, I have to get up in the middle of the night. I'm old now, so I have to do this bathroom thing in the middle of the night. I'm not used to that yet. And I'm like, bang, you stub your toe in the corner of the bed. Oh! See, when that toe hurts... The whole body hurts, right? It's connected. It's a part of it. And Paul teaches this all the time. When one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. When one part is not treated well, all of us are not treated well. And he talks about this idea of gifts, right? And this is, again, in this challenge of spirit conversations about spiritual gifts. We look at some gifts as more important than other gifts, some people in the church more needed and necessary, you know, and they're, boy, if that person leaves, if that person moves away, oh my goodness, the whole thing's going to collapse and shut down, right? We, we, we categorize all these gifts and all these people, right? So that's part of the humility journey. But then this engagement here is that we're all a part of this. Every follower of Jesus has a role to play. This is why we say here as a church all the time, like we, we say we don't believe that you come to church. We believe if you've put your faith in Jesus to save you of your sins, you are the church. And if God has called you to this church, you have a role to play. And my job is not to do everything here in the church to just entertain and bless you. My job is to equip you and help you find your gift so that you can be a blessing to other people. That's what we do here. We're called to be engaged. And that's a small change. I talk to a lot of people all the time. Well, I can't serve. I can't help. I'm just too busy. Well, there's a change you need to figure out. Like we like the beauty of this post-pandemic hybrid church online church in person world. There's actually stuff you can do now to help us out in your pajamas from home. Praise be to God. 
the introvert in me is like, oh, sign me up. That's amazing. I could like pray with people from home in my pajamas. Like all these different things. There is a spot and a place. We just got to figure it out. But you might have to take small steps, cleaning up your calendar, cleaning up your time, being more available, getting over yourselves, all of these things to be engaged. Right? And so these are kind of three small things that the apostle talks about. They're baby steps in this Christian journey. Being transformed. Right? The renewing of your mind, it happens a little bit every single day. Just baby steps every single day. Right? Learning to be humble. It's a baby step every single day. Being engaged in the work and the mission of the church. There's baby steps that you can do each and every day. But then look at how this Romans 12 ends. Right? It talks about these things and Paul is urging us, urging us to make this a part of our faith journey, make this a part of how we're living out our faith, right? of being transformed, of being humble, of being engaged, these little changes. But then look at how this plays out in the life of the church. These are big things. Right? It talks about love must be sincere. I'm reading from verse 9. I'm going to read from 9 to 21. Love must be sincere. You can't fake it. You can't fake loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength if you're not being transformed and humbled and engaged. You can't fake it. Your kids will know you're faking it. Your spouse will know you're faking it. Okay? God will know you're faking it. You hate what is evil. You cling to what is good. You're being transformed. Is culture changing you or is the word of God changing you? Right? Be devoted to one another as the body of believers. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Above yourself. That's huge. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Right? This is like, is your faith journey? Got to go to church. Got to go to fusion. Zeal, fervor, that only comes from this journey that we're on, right? Be joyful. Were we joyful in hope? We're patient in affliction. How many of you are dealing with affliction in this world that we're living in? There's patience in it, right? We're serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And then it gets even bigger, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Oh, we're good at ignoring that one. Sometimes as followers of Jesus in the Western culture. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited, Kevin. I always insert my name on that one. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, I love this one, verse 18, live at peace with everyone. Are you a peacekeeper? Or are you a strife causer? <laughs> right? There's so many things in here. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. 
For it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. It's not the church's call to exact revenge on the enemies of God. It's not our call. That's God's work. In fact, it says this in contrary, right? It quotes here, uh, uh, it quotes Proverbs 25 verses uh, 21 and 22. It says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. That's huge. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you heap burning coals on his head. That doesn't mean go to do something nice, not going to throw fire at you. That's not what it means. It means that you bring kind of this reality that they've got to think really hard about God and the response of God's people to people who hate them. Those are huge. See, the second part of Romans chapter 12, if it honestly sounds impossible. In this culture that we live in today, in this world that we live in today, in where we find ourselves as followers of Jesus in the cultural conversation right now, Romans chapter 12, the second part, feels impossible. It's too big. It's too big. But here's the beauty of Romans chapter 12. Be transformed a little bit every day. What baby step is God calling you to in the renewing of your mind? Where are you letting the pattern of the world that wants to take you far away from what Jesus says and Jesus taught and what Jesus did? What step can you be, take to be more aligned with the pattern that Jesus is the way, Jesus is the life? When Jesus said that I came to give life and life to the full, when Jesus said that, that I am the way to the Father, that nobody comes to me, it comes to the Father except through me. When Jesus said all of these things, what steps, little steps, can you take to be more aligned with that pattern? To be transformed. That's easier to do every day. Be humble. What steps can you take to be more humble? Are there people that you need to apologize to? And you know what? Like, yeah, I thought I was better than you. And I'm sorry for that. Are there prayers that you need to give up to God for your enemy? For people who don't like you? For people who are against you and your beliefs? Should you pray? Not prayers like, God, change them and make them like me. Because <laughs> I know I pray that way. <laughs> but God, they're hungry. Give them something to eat. God, they're thirsty. Give them something to drink. God, bless them. Bless them in their lives. Bless them in their service. Bless them in all that they do. Right? It may not change them, but it changes us. Little thing, little thing of being humble. And then a little thing of be engaged. If you're on the bench, get off the bench. If you're on the sidelines, get off the sidelines. You know, if you have a spiritual gift of leadership, lead with all diligence. I love that word diligence. What does diligence mean? It means it's exhausting and tiring and keep going. Don't stop. If God has given you a gift of prophecy, prophesy. If God's given you a gift of service, serve. Get engaged. What little step do you got to make to engage? For some people, 10 minutes a month. 
all I'm asking. Ten minutes a month, ten minutes a week, find a way to be more engaged in the work of God. Doesn't even have to be at our church. It could be in a different ministry. It could be a volunteer organization in our city. Go be the hands and feet of Jesus somewhere. Just get engaged in the work of God in some kind of capacity. Those little steps, if we were to truly implement those in our lives, and suddenly the second part of Romans chapter 12, we'd see it all over the place. We'd see the church expressing love, and compassion and mercy. We'd see marriages change. We'd see lives change. We'd see teenagers change and kids changed because this type of work, this type of work of God kind of working through his children, the church, is what the life of the church is all about. You see, our theology, what we believe about God, changes us in small ways so that God can use us to change the world in big ways. And so the big idea that I want to leave you with is this. We change in little ways to see God move in big ways. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for the ways that you have moved and worked in my life in all the years that I've been following you in all the ways that you've helped me to be transformed, even when I didn't want to be transformed, in all the ways that you've helped me to become humble, even in the times when I didn't want to be humble, and in the ways that you helped me to engage, in the times when I would have much rather just watched TV. And so, Father God, today I ask in Jesus' name, that you would do small things in all of our lives. That you would help each and every one of us, each and every one of us to be a little bit more transformed today than we were yesterday. Help each and every one of us to be a little bit more humble today than we were yesterday. And help each and every one of us to be engaged in the mission of God a little bit more today than we were yesterday. And maybe just with every head bow and every eye closed, maybe some of you here, you know, whether online or here in the room, you're, you're hearing this kind of a message, but you're still kind of just on this journey. You're not even too sure what you believe about God. You're not even too sure what you believe about church. And if that's you today, I'm so glad that you're here because that's exactly where I was over 20 years ago in my mid to late 20s. When I didn't like God and I didn't like the church and I was reading the Bible to disprove the existence of God. Because I heard about this guy, Jesus, and he wasn't the Jesus I thought. See, I thought Jesus was bad news. I thought Jesus was all about ruining my life. I thought Jesus was all about just kind of controlling me and making me have to give up my money and making me not live the way I want to live. I thought Jesus was bad news. But then I learned that there was really bad news. That the sin in my heart, the sin in my mind is keeping me separated from a perfect, loving God. And this God loves me so much that he's not expecting me to be religious and keep all these rules and commandments and traditions in order to make him happy. God proved his love 
for me, for you, by sending Jesus to die for you. And just last week we saw in Romans chapter 10 that you can receive the full blessing and presence of God in your life by simply saying, Father, forgive me, a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for me. Come into my life. Make me new. If you pray that way this morning at Greenbelt Online or here in person in Greenbelt Online, put it in the chat that you've prayed that for the first time here in the room. Come and tell me in the cafe after the service. The best thing you could have done today. Stepping into eternity. Stepping from one pattern of the world into the pattern that God has for your life. And for the rest of us who made that prayer, did that prayer, made that decision, whether it was last week or decades ago, God, I pray this, God, make, transform me. Help me to truly evaluate how I'm doing on this faith journey. Bring to mind how I can be more humble, where I could be transformed, and how I could be engaged with your work. And God, I'm going to trust you today with the small changes in my life so that I can see you work in big ways in my life. And Holy Spirit, as we continue to worship, I pray that you would continue to minister to each and every one of us, I ask in Jesus' name.